everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast that gives you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me, as always, our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen West. Greetings. And our evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Wah, Mr. Morgan. Wah. Shit, I was not prepared for the wog. And actually, that's a lot harder to do these days. Uh, Man, I tell you what, stopping a green tide is not as easy as it used to be. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm enjoying the some of the some of the new rules and the way morale and other such works. Yeah, because that is that is one that completely changed. Before you could just sort of like, oh, I'm going to kill 28 of those orcs, and then unless you want to blow five CP, that unit is just gone basically. And now it's like, well, I'm going to lose one of them to morale, but chances are pretty good the other one sticks around. And then you're going to see 30 more boys coming at you. Yeah, I have, I have a general pretty good first impression so far. Now that I've uh, gotten a few games in ninth in, and even mm-hmm. just 10-man boy groups have been pretty yeah. uh, pretty successful. Yeah, they are no joke piling out of a truck. Uh-huh. What sort of uh, orc lists have you been having success with and enjoying? Um, I've uh, I've been putting together some very mechanized lists. Um Mm-hmm. I kind of have two prototypes I'm working with that the uh, the orc chat has been graceful enough to help bless me with, and then I've taken my own spin on them. But mm-hmm. everything's death. Everything's death skulls. Death skulls yeah, have kind of been. Death skulls are the, uh, so good these days. <laughs> it's insane. And the the core is a handful of met guns, um, and then at least five buggies. The the the. Uh, oh yeah. I'm running. I'm running a bunch of scrap jets and a bunch of dragsters. Um, mm-hmm. Both those in their own right, with custom jobs not being nerfed the way they thought we were going to get nerfed, have been uh, MVPs, really. Um, yeah. And with, with the new missions, like, commandos are great. I'm always packing one group of commandos because it's just instant score secondary um, almost all the time for them. And then yep. uh, with that, it either, I either ran a bunch of Death Dreads and, like, Gorkonite. Oh, okay, yeah. Or I'm running a, a bunch of trucks and a bunch of boys. Um, so I, uh, I have my heart kind of on the death dread list, even though it's not as good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. I the, mean, the, playing what you want has a certain value because it means you're happier, which means you'll not forget things. Yeah. But the, uh, the truck boy list sure as heck is good. There's now, can I say it's GT level good? I, I don't know. Um, but so far playing this list and, uh, toying around with it i've i've really enjoyed it um it played the the way the new ninth missions play and the way uh the game plays has has me actually pretty excited um mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of units so my my board's usually covered with painted units all my painted units are the good units um yeah my board has a bunch of units that aren't painted now uh <laughs> so that that says something yeah it's it kind of forces you to start working on some some new stuff and get that all ready for tournaments and whatnot when those eventually someday happen for us. Yeah. Um, How about you, I, Sean? Uh I've been I've been bouncing around a lot of different factions trying things out and kind of getting a feel for the new edition. Uh I think for the time being I've settled on Eldar, uh specifically Craft Worlds. They have a lot of good tools, and I think like the right combination of shooting and melee to potentially do really well in this edition. Um, 
I'm still experimenting with some different ideas and whatnot, but just tough, fast-moving units has a lot of value in this edition, and Eldar definitely can offer some of that with their, their various jet bikes and skimmers. So my personal question is, what do you think of the Falcon being good now? It's interesting. It, the Falcon is definitely no longer bad, and it's probably even good, but even though I have a trio of Falcons that I picked up super cheap because no one wanted them because they had been garbage piles for like four editions straight, um, I still really like the Wave Serpent because minus one damage is huge. Um, mm -hmm. And you... You, you pay a little bit of a premium for it. Like, you're, you're paying a, a solid 35 points on top of what a Falcon has to pay. Um, but you're getting that minus one damage, you're getting a bigger transport capacity, and you can pop that shield off for some f extra mortal wounds when you really need it. And all of those are really big things for me. Plus, they don't occupy heavy support slots, and I'm using all my heavy port support slots for Warwalkers and Wraith Lords and stuff like that. Um, so, I like the Falcon. It still hasn't found a home in my list yet. But that's yeah, not I... to say it won't, just that it hasn't so far. Yeah, my two things that I'm hype about for uh, specifically Crap World lists is uh, Race Sears and Falcons. Um, oh boy, yeah, Wraith Seers are, they're a beating. Their psychic powers are the hottest garbage in the world, but they have some really, really good just punching and shooting that combine together at a price you can't beat. They also get to score psychic secondaries. Yep. They can. I've only ever really used it for uh, mental interrogation, um, but, you know, they're a deny, and they can do psychic secondaries, so you kind of threaten the enemy with that at all times. Yeah, no, they're, they're useful little buttheads. Yeah. <laughs> Shaylin sounds annoyed with them. Shaylin, what's your, uh, what's your take on, on Knights so far? I know you and I have been messing with a, a bunch of different lists and testing them out. What's your feeling on things? Um, I'm a little tilted with the state of Grey Knights. Oh, really? Yep. I don't know how much of that is just general personal frustration or other things, but I'm just tilted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Grey Knights are, I mean, they're not as good as they were at the end of 8th. Um, no. Although they were, you know, one of the top three armies in the game at that point, so maybe that's not where they should aspire to. Yeah. Nah, it's, uh, the pricing on the strike chassis invalidates a good, like, for unit uh, all the power armor types in the codex. Yeah, GW still way overvalues what a marine body is. Um, I am mildly concerned with the two wound update they will get and the repricing that that won't help. Yeah, we don't really know what sort of price. Historically, point put Games on Workshop that. cannot strike price strike marines worth beans. Well, so, yeah. you don't remember 5th edition, so uh, I won't blame you for not including that into your calculations, but uh, they have been good before. Yes. Um, I, I do get to play with all of my favorite units from the Codex, which is Terminators and Dread Knights. That's what's mm -hmm. good right now. Yep. Uh, so there is that, but I'm frustrated. Yeah. The, the problem that I've always had with Grey Knights is their lack of unit diversity, and that hurts them a lot, I feel. It's not that their units are bad, it's just they don't have enough of them to fill the right roles. 
Yeah. Uh, also, their lack of anti-armor shooting is a substantial problem in a armor-heavy edition. Yes, uh, although potentially melee can be a solution there. Uh, there are certainly plenty of armies that rely heavily on melee to kill armor, cough, cough, orcs. Yes, but uh, I'm just throwing that out. So Sure. So, let's get talking about our, our main subject here, uh, which is one that I don't think I've seen a lot of discussion about, but I think is going to be really fundamental to how the edition plays, and that's strategic reserves, the rule. Mm-hmm. This is a new rule that's actually kind of old. Uh, ben, I know you were not a, a really like a competitive player prior to eighth edition, so uh, you don't have the the same sort of familiarity. But in the older editions of the game, you used to be able to just reserve any unit you wanted, um, and exactly what that meant would vary from edition to edition a little bit. But the basic idea is you would you roll and they would come onto the table from your board edge and you know. So the, the possibility of reserving most or even all of your units was absolutely out there before. But 8th edition took that away, which really changed a lot of the balance of things. Uh, that's something not a lot of people talked about, but you know, the inability to hide units off the board really meant that like, if there was a problem in the enemy army, you could just shoot it and it would die. Um, but that's no longer true in 9th edition. So... You're, what you're telling me is there's a, uh, your uh, where was I? I completely just trained like the thought. Sorry guys. Um, no, that's okay. <laughs> so so what you're telling me is that you used to not have that option at all. You would have to just take it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you 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 could you used to be able to hide anything, and then you couldn't again, and now you can again. And I think GW made a good choice here that strategic reserves have a cost they're not just a thing you can do uh, but that ability to hide units so your opponent can't get to them or to ensure that they come in later in the game where they there's been no attrition your opponent can't just shoot away and chip off wounds um, I think is really going to change how people play certain parts of this game Shaylin I know you're you you've played a very reserve heavy army in the past. What's what's your feeling on all of this? So um, I can tell you, as having played reserve heavy armies, it's a great tool to have in your toolbox. It's one of my favorite things about my favorite army. Mm-hmm. So the fact that everyone gets it, I feel, is a fair because it was pretty disadvantageous, and top level armies had that capacity. It was one yeah. of the definitions of a top level army in 8th was the ability to do that, even if you had to pay some CP to do it, basically. So it opens up a lot of doors for people. Um, as I said, it kind of invalidates the cut-off-the-head, kill-the-warlord stratagem, because yeah, uh, you can pay some CP and make that just not be a thing for you. Yeah, you can, you can just deny your opponent 6 or 12 or... 14 points off of that objective if they're foolish enough to take it. Uh, but I can say that Ninth Ed is quite killy. Um, there's nope. a good bit of attrition going on, and having fresh things come in and late game can be brack breaking for your opponent. Yeah. So it's super powerful and good, and I'm glad it's here for everyone again that it's going to create some really cool play. 
I'm just happy yeah. it's equalized. Um, you know, yes. with some armies there's one CP and this limitation, and then other armies it was two CP with this limitation. Um, orcs literally you lose two stratagems out of it because they, they what they did is they did two CP to deep strike X of certain power level or lower. And then if you were infantry and blood axes, you could spend one CP and do it. And now it's like, oh, well, neither of those are relevant in any way. Um, actually, I will point out. So strategic reserves does have restrictions about where they can come in. General deep yeah. strike like rules, as the ones you're referring to, gives them a broader space to jump in on. So those stratagems haven't gone away. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and talk about a little bit about strategic reserves and what the rule is and how it contrasts with the reserve stratagems that many individual armies have. Uh, so you can pay CP to put any number of units into strategic reserve up to a maximum of half your army. Uh, that limitation does still exist. And that limitation applies to all reserves, so if you put some into strategic reserves and some into other reserves, you still can't go over the 50% mark. Uh, the amount of CP you have to pay is dependent on how many units and what power level you're, you're putting in. It's, uh, you know, up to 9 is 1, up to 19 is 2, etc., up to your maximum power level limit. Um, and it doesn't care about how many individual units, so 9-1 CP units are still only costing you one command point. Uh, whereas with many of those stratagems, you're paying a, a cost per unit rather than per total value of them. Yes. Um, uh, and they are balancing power level now, which makes this a lot better. Yes. Uh, the other, you know, two things that are uh, really important. Um, first of all, strategic reserves can only arrive on the second and third turn of the game. Um, they, if they're not on the board by then, they are destroyed and don't get to participate at all. Uh, that, I don't believe, is a general rule for reserves now that is specific to strategic reserves. So if you have an ability that puts you into reserves, you can arrive later than turn three. But strategic reserves, that which everyone has access to, only on turns two and three, because you can't show up on turn one no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, and the final reserve, as uh, reserve restriction, as Shailene already alluded to, is that strategic reserves are much more limited in where they appear. They can only come in off board edges. Um, they can always come in off your board edge, even if there are units that are close to it. I think that is a, a very interesting addition to things, is it allows you to basically, like, if the opponent tries to crowd your deployment zone to close, you can just bring a unit in reserve there. Uh, but they're also allowed to uh, show up along the sideboard edges that are sort of neither friendly nor enemy, uh, provided they don't do so in the enemy deployment zone on turn two. Mm -hmm. And, of course, more than nine inches from all enemy units unless they come off of your board edge where it has a different set of restrictions there. Yes, uh, which is good because that means that your opponent can't just like, hi, let's have a feel bad. We've blocked you from bringing your reserves in at all. Yes, it's that's not no longer possible to do. So yeah, they got rid of the feel bad. I've done that to someone. I've, it, I've gotten the rage quit from throwing grots in someone's deployment. My bad. Yeah, it absolutely was a thing, and uh, 
I, I feel like they did a lot of that with this edition, is sort of getting rid of these very gamey ways of taking advantage of people, even though um, not all of them were always particularly good plays. They've still gotten rid of them just as a way of like, well, players don't enjoy this, so we're going to remove it. Uh, but you now have the option to bring in all sorts of units from sideboard edges. Uh, I think that's important for a couple really major reasons. Uh, you know, A, it can protect units, which, mm -hmm. not you know, on the as Shaylin said, yep. Uh, B, it allows you to bring in units from angles where people are not necessarily expecting them or may struggle to deal with, uh, which is especially important for various kinds of shooting units. Uh, and C, it allows you to bring units onto objectives later in the game without having to worry about where you deploy them initially or things like that. It, it gives you a level of flexibility and protection over these units that you, you couldn't achieve without some sort of reserve ability. I will also point out, and this is just a small observation I've had from the few games of Knight I've played, the objectives are not that far from the board edges with the smaller table. So it's entirely possible to walk onto one. Yeah, why don't, why don't we go ahead and start there? Because I think that is one that people are not going to grasp immediately. In this edition, the, the objectives for the primary mission are usually quite close to the board edges. I would say, I don't think ever more than 12, except for like a center point objective. Yeah, it's like uh, 8 and 10s. I, I really, yeah. I'm really enjoying that. Um, I've, I... The, the strategic reserves for me. Um, one thing that uh, that I like um, if someone crowd is if someone crowds into your deployment zone on your objective, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, well, welcome to counter charge counter charge city, sir. Yes. <laughs> you don't you don't need yeah. like worry about how you deploy. It it gives so much more room. That yeah. that is a facet there that was not that is unique from other editions. You can charge out of a reserve. That was something they introduced in Maze that they kept. Yes, uh, and you know you still typically have to obey that nine-inch limit unless you are in your own deployment zone. Um, but a nine-inch charge is not that hard to make, especially with no more Overwatch. Uh, so it is very possible for you to just bring in a unit from a board edge and have them come in and take an objective immediately either by virtue of being placed on that objective, because there are some objectives within nine inches of a board edge, as Ben mentioned, uh, and with your you know six inches off a board edge and three-inch controlling distance, you can just kind of walk right in and take it. Um, or to make a charge onto a slightly more distant objective, because in many cases your opponent is going to want to put their models on objectives as well. So if you charge in, that puts you on the objective. Whee! And there are some types of units, I think, that are exceptionally well-suited to this. Uh, ben, you mentioned commandos earlier. I feel like they're one of the best. Yeah, there's they natively um, get to reserve themselves, so they're, sure. I don't need to I don't need to worry about uh, some of the, some of the um, limits that you have in strategic reserves and costs. Yeah. Um, well, the things that stick up for me in orcs uh, that really like to be strategically reserved that I couldn't before. Um, mm -hmm. Literally had no way of doing it. 
uh, was are like my uh, my mech guns, uh, my custom uh, yeah. my smasher guns and such. Uh, the, if it, if it's an army that I know can pick up real quick, and I'm like, oh no, I'm just never going to give you the chance to do it. And they're vehicles, so their heavy penalty doesn't apply anymore. Um, yep. So that that was a huge rule change, being able to save those guys. And there's yeah. only one CP for a big bank of them too, because um, they're still pretty low power level. Yeah, I feel like they kind of exemplify the 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 second one we were talking about, those shooting units, that mech guns are slow enough that they and vulnerable enough, as you mentioned, that they, they often have this problem where like they if you deploy them on the board and the enemy gets first turn, you're probably just gonna lose most of them. And then they're gonna score a crap load of points on bring it down, and you've lost most of your ranged firepower, and suddenly you're in a pretty bad spot. And they're not fast enough that you can like hide them behind terrain and then kind of you know wheel them out and start shooting very easily. Um, so being able to put them into strategic reserve not only means that you protect them, but also that you can bring them in from an angle where you get to choose what they shoot at and what can shoot at them. They're a pretty hard unit to deploy, too, um, especially with yeah. obscuring terrain and the, how that rule works, and them yep. being like a pretty short and stubby uh, platform. So yeah. you normally you're like, okay, you play some, you try to play some as your last unit so you can get line of sight and everything, and th- not having mm-hmm. to worry about it. Um, before the game even started is actually really nice. Um, there are some situations where you're like, okay, all your guns are 24 inches, and I can just outrange you. Um, right. And you play them on a the board anyway, but there's a lot of situations now. They're, they're probably one of my favorite units to actually use the strategic reserve rule on outside mm-hmm. of my units that already have it. Uh, Mega Knobs being another one, um, if I'm expecting mm. them to be in my deployment, like if they're gonna, if I know they're just going to rush me and it's like, a uh, contorted epitome list where they're just where I know their goal is to get in and touch me and uh, make me not leave combat and get in my deployment zone. Um, mm-hmm. I'll set up counter charges uh, with um, strategic reserves. Yeah, uh, I think counter charges are another point where strategic reserves can be very useful because they allow you to kind of react to what your opponent is doing and saying I don't know where you're going to send your big melee hitter unit but wherever you send it I'll have a unit that's ready for you yes and that's kind of fantastic uh, yeah I, I've, I've deeply enjoyed for years getting the jump on other people because it's like well you can't get to me until I decide yep yeah, and then uh, it plays super well. The ninth secondaries that, like, like I said, with killing stuff not being as big of an onus at all, um, mm-hmm. and movement and scoring being much more big onuses. You especially and specifically objectives. Primaries matter so much more than secondaries. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, that you have to set yourself up to be like, okay, I'm gonna just like commandos come in. Like, okay, um, we're gonna deploy spanners. Cool, done. Bam, points. Um, like, there's. There's a lot of there's a lot of good good candy there that uh, that all these little units that you have coming in out of nowhere for almost no cost can do. I will trade one CP for ten victory points every day. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Grots are another unit I've seen talked about a lot in that respect, where their power level is so incredibly low it's very trivial to reserve them. And having a squad of Grots just sort of wander off a board edge around turn three and be standing near an objective or in the enemy deployment zone or someplace inconvenient to score you, engage on all fronts or what have you, um, 
it really is a huge hassle for your opponent that costs you a pretty small number of points and probably not any CP at all because you were already putting something else in reserve. Yeah, and with the morale rules, grouts aren't nearly as as oh, little yeah. fragile beings that they used to be. With uh, with leadership four, it used to be like, well, you killed six, grout's gone. Yeah. Now, now it's, now it's like, now oh, well. You, yeah, you, you kill six and chances are very good there's still at least one remaining and you only need one yeah that i've had enough situations in the games i've played now where like my unit gets brought down to one guy and it's like well that one guy he's death skulls is going to well, mm-hmm. or, or troop is not only going to get on this objective and make you have to deal with him he's also going to score me this uh, other secondary thanks yes. guy yeah yeah um, for- any kind of sec- position-based secondaries, strategic reserves can be extremely useful. You were saying, Shay? Uh, I lost train of thought. Oh, okay. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about some other types of units that we see as uh, benefiting a lot from the strategic reserves. Um, Shay had mentioned uh, the sort of countercharge and... Uh, assault type units um ben mentioned the uh the 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 mech guns and sort of like shooting units like that as well as the the secondary grabbers i Um, have one go go ahead fragile characters and i'm going somewhere Hmm. with this okay is uh sometimes your fragile characters aren't fast enough and the unit they need to buff is in mid table scrumming and you have no way to get them there so if you're willing to go a couple turns without that buff until they're, like, ready in scrum zone, you can walk them in and, oh, look, now they've got that buff. Suddenly out of backfield is another good thing to use it for. Sure, uh, especially if you're seeing enemy snipers. I think that plays a lot into the whole, uh, the idea of using strategic reserves for resilience as a way to protect units that would otherwise struggle to stay alive until turn two or three. And on the flip side, there are just some units out there where you pay additional points to make them able to be reserved. Now you can just spend a little bit of CP if your list can stand it. Um, Yes. In in 8th, I was playing White Scars for a bit, and I brought uh, a Librarian in Terminator armor just so he could drop in with his unit. Mm -hmm. I don't need to do that anymore. Yep. Uh, There's... There's definitely a a bit of a balancing factor because, like Shay, your Dread Knights can pay ten points to be able to reserve themselves, um, and well, ten points is probably better than the like two CP you've got to pay. Um, there yeah. are times when you just don't have ten points in a list. I I built a list where that was definitely the case, so I was like, yeah. Um, I will say that it is nice, though, because it means I can save a little points on that, and it's like, well, this is the power I need to go hide, so hmm, I guess I'll pay CP instead. Yeah, uh, the nice thing there is that strategic reserves are a game-by-game decision rather than a list-building decision, Uh, so it gives you that flexibility to, to do that sort of thing. Uh, but I'd like, I'd like to talk a little bit more about using strategic reserves for resilience, because I think that's one of the ones where it really changes how a lot of things are going to function. Uh, because I feel as though 
8th edition reserves were often kind of used offensively, like you would bring a unit into a position where it was ready to strike and destroy something, um, and you know, you'd use it to mitigate short-ranged units and stuff like that. Whereas, it was also the most changed rule in 8th edition. Yes, it yeah. went through so many <laughs> different changes. And I'm glad uh, they, it's back in a place where they can make rules about it and not have to alter everyone's individual data sheet, because that was stupid. Right. Um, but I feel like ninth strategic reserves want to be used defensively more than offensively um, to protect all these units in the ways we've kind of described. Um, and I think that's really important because ninth, as we've already mentioned, is a really, really killy addition. Um, units are going to be dying left and right. Things are going to get shot, things are going to get charged, they're going to be standing on objectives where the enemy has to kill them. There's just going to be a lot of casualties pulled off the table this edition. Which is fantastic. It's um, good. Um, and I just remembered what I was thinking of. Oh yeah? Tempo. Reserves are a huge tempo manipulation strategy. So, sure. uh, in the defensive case, what you're doing is you're picking the engagement terms because you can control when and where it's happening. Yes. In the uh, offensive case, what you're doing is, again, picking the engagement terms where it's, you can't stop this shooting from happening to you because I've getting to, gotten to pick where it happens and to yeah. whom it happens. And I, I think that is very key, is that you can ensure your unit gets to do their thing. And maybe they don't succeed at it, because you can always roll ones and twos. Uh, Lord knows we've all had that happen to us. But you at least get the chance to roll the dice and try and have the unit do their job, rather than seeing them just get picked up without any chance to act. Yes. I feel like they did the missions and really well to, with strategic reserves in mind. I feel like those when the team was building this this rule book, they saw mm -hmm. that strategic reserves was going to be one of the big <coughs> game changing features, and made them and the missions are set up in a balanced way for that. Um, deep striking half your army, uh, which you know, if we could deep strike half your army for for five points in eighth most of the time. You'd see mm -hmm. a lot of armies do it. Um, you're still oh, not going to yeah. see a lot of that happen in ninth, just because the way things are scored. You need stuff on board. You need to be reacting and doing things. Um, yeah, you're going to see the CP get spent to do big units um, like uh, like Magnus and such when you want to protect him. It's true uh, because Magnus is a good example of that kind of like he's the centerpiece of my army, and if he dies, I suddenly don't really have a game anymore. And it's very possible to kill him on the first turn if he doesn't get all his buffs up and whatnot. Um, but I think you actually hit a really good point there. Why don't we talk a little bit about the downsides of strategic reserves? Uh, because some people are going to go hog wild. They're going to hear this episode and they're going to be like, Wow, reserves are incredible. I can make all my units impossible to kill. This is so cool. I'm going to spend 10 CP and reserve half my army and you can't even touch me. And that that's true like your army doesn't get shot when you do that but there are still some very real downsides there uh ben, should you i kinda... start oh actually Sh shaylin why don't you why don't you go ahead and because you you have some experience with reserving large portions of your army why don't you talk about that a little bit so 
you've thrown half of your firepower off the table. Mm-hmm. That means you're, and you also don't have the unit presence to do things like move block, um, which is important because it means your opponent has a lot more of the board they can work with. Yeah. Um, they also have firepower, so what you have on the table is at risk for, it's going to take all the army's guns because there's nothing else to get co-targeted. That's yes, a, that's and a you big can problem. you can hide some of them behind terrain or limit how your army can engage them, but you obviously won't be able to do that completely. Your enemy's going to get to shoot and assault you. But uh, the the fact that you are ceding a huge amount of board control to the enemy when you reserve that much of your army, I think is going to be the biggest limiter on how people use strategic reserves. Uh, ben? With, the, with the missions being primary based and objective holding based, if you yeah. are not interacting with three objectives on turn one uh, in any meaningful way, when I say meaningful, I mean having one or two units that need to be removed from it or very difficult to move from it, mm-hmm. um, then you are not in a place set up to win this game. Uh, you need to be active immediately and the command phases matter. The fact that you need to last that entire time before you can even score those primaries uh, is what's going to limit people taking secondaries. Um, Because you can't just, you know, send out one little group, then nab it, end of turn, score my ITC points. No, that doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, We're on a, you had to get there and do it. And um, you, uh, with reserves, you can't quite get it done. Um, And sometimes, sometimes you'll be counting on like a nine inch charge on it or anything else. And a bunch of really risky, low, low uh low reward situations where you it's just not going to pan out um you can't strategic reserve as a gr- as an as an aggressive tactic as much anymore not saying you can't do it i mean where there's still plenty of uh strategies that where that works or you know you're going to bring in some blood angel terminators and uh screw some stuff up mm-hmm. um but there if you put too much of your army in reserve you're not meaningfully uh, playing with the board, um, majority of point in this game are primaries on these objectives. Uh, yeah. Your opponent will just get the laugh and score fifteen on their secondary, or fifteen on the on the sec- on the command phase on the second turn. Like, yeah, <laughs> and and let's point out that remember our order of operations here. You reserve all your your units; they go off the board. You're kind of hiding away. They come in turn two, but they turn come in turn two at the end of the movement phase after you've already scored your points for that turn. And that means they're not on an objective turn two, and they're not going to get to move before you score all your objectives on turn three either, unless you get lucky with a charge, which from nine inches can happen, but... You sure don't want to base your whole game plan off succeeding multiple 9-inch charges. So that means anything you reserve will not be a scoring unit until probably turn 4. Yeah, and there's only 5 turns in the game. Yeah, it's... With, with secondaries meaning a bit less, not a whole lot less, they still super matter. You still should always score at least 10 on them. Mm-hmm. Um, secondaries meaning quite a bit less in the point swings and primaries um, forcing in these huge point swings that you can force just by being active on board is a yep. huge reward um, you know I'm I'm seeing more situations where strategic where strategic reserves is far more of a defensive skill than an offensive skill yeah 
So Shay, I know you've used that kind of strategy a lot. How do you feel on a like an offensive versus defensive perspective for reserves and scoring? So uh, the offensive thing is it's a unit that you've probably brought in just to like do a certain task or kill a certain thing or just like it explodes and dies and in, or, or it's just a tempo inconvenience or something, something to pull attention away, a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little more relevant with not strategic reserves, but more traditional deep strikes. Those ones can give you a little more control over like putting things in positions where they actually literally land on the objective, which is why I point out to Ben that that orc strategy isn't dead. It's true. Uh, although, no, as not. we kind of mentioned, uh, a lot of objectives are close enough to a board edge that it's not too hard to get within range of them. Yeah, I will comment, though, because I've done the math hammer on charges and nine-inch charges. If you don't have any assistance, the nine-inch charge is about a little over a quarter of the time it happens. Yeah, and uh, with a re-roll, it, it's something about like... About 50%? It's 48. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's not great. You shouldn't be betting the farm on that. Um, but, in fact, I wouldn't advise it at all. Uh, but I, I will comment that uh, sometimes it's like, well, I've got this big heavy hitter unit. It's going to come down somewhere. It might. Some opponents will just scramble and do really weird stuff in response to that. It might stretch, force their army to stretch out in ways that's not good for it. Um that's more of an offensive psychological technique. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so there are, there's still plenty of that. Like as we were talking about some of these guns and stuff in the orcs lists that they're fragile and it's like, well, we need them to do their thing. So the reserving is a better idea. Yeah. Using it to disrupt your opponent's plans like that can be one of the strongest things you can do because once the units are laid out on the board, then everyone kind of like builds a mental plan of like, they'll move over here and then I'll move over here and we'll shoot this and he'll shoot that and he'll take this objective and I'll go for this one. Um, And you you kind of have an idea where the game is broadly going, Uh, but a unit coming out of strategic reserves can really disrupt that. Uh, especially if it is a- either able to shoot something off of an objective or destroy a key piece or move on to an objective they weren't expecting you to be able to get to. Yes. And uh, as we said, the major defensive thing, if it's not on the table, it can't be interacted with. So Right. Yeah. I As a major counter unit, um, and both offensively, because you can do this to like take down people's gun lines and such, you still have the good old fallbacks of bringing in a bunch of death company and doing a 3d6 charge and yep like you, you still have a lot of these fallbacks where there are guaranteed ways or more way more than likely ways that they'll make better than a nine inch charge so you have ways to improve charges you have tactic chapter tactics that have increased charges you have reroll charges you have 3d6 charges there's there's all these other things where that's still valid that didn't change um mm-hmm. you you're still going to completely like deliver a knockout punch with some of those units because 15 death company coming out of nowhere and wiping half your opponent's army is still a very scary thing um and yep. they reserve for at no cost anyway so yeah. uh they're so that's still insane um and they're still very good um it just don't your death com- death company did you ever count them scoring you points on objectives i don't think so yeah uh, so did you count on them just shredding apart three critical units of your opponent's army maybe 
So why don't why don't we talk a little bit about uh, some of the the units that we've seen that we think are uh, sort of e exemplary of the sorts of units you will want to strategic reserve uh, for your army or for any army because Che's army can all kind of reserve so maybe she doesn't have a lot to with so strategic reserves. Um, I do actually. Yeah. Why don't you start us out there, then? Okay, so one of the things you could never reserve under any circumstances in Grey Knights was vehicles that weren't psychers. I can now bring in mm -hmm. land raiders off Boardages. Okay, that's something. Um, I don't imagine land raiders are going to see a whole lot of play even now, but... No, but a, a, a rhino coming over and just being another unit to enforce an objective, that's totally yeah. a thing for me. And deep, striking, uh, deep straight transport play. Transport play is probably my favorite thing about ninth. That yes. onion effect that these armies have, which we'll you know talk about what exactly is ninth later. Um, but yeah. that transport transport play is huge in this edition. Um, yes. Um, what, what do you think about um, a really cheap unit like servitors, Shay? Um. So, I, I actually think there's a lot of value there. Um. Partly because uh, it's cheaper for me to do it instead of using the inherent Grey Knight stratagem to reserve them, to use the strategic reserves. Mm -hmm. They just kind of walk on and do an action. Yay, you're dumb little dudes. That's all I wanted you to do in your life. And yep. you'll die in a minute, but that's fine. <laughs> the, those 12 points just scored victory points. And those that's, those are my favorite transactions is when you are, you're using sub, you know, five point models or Chumps. five point models to score just to, to score points. It's... It's one of my favorite yes. things. They are oh, yeah. they're kind of perfect for strategic reserves because they're they're low power level and let's be honest, those servitors were not going to help you control the board in the first place. So their oh, non-presence no. on the board does not lose you any board control. Exactly. <laughs> what do they do? They're there to do an action and die. Yes. Um, In that order. Would, would you say that, like, grots or similarly cheap troop units and whatnot fill a, a similar kind of role, Ben? Yeah, I think any cheap troop unit um, is great that way. Even units that would already have, like, a weird deployment rule, like Nurglings mm -hmm. or um, or Scouts and such, you... you you can still toss them in reserves. You're already turning to one CP. You can just go up to that power level. So you can mix and match and play as you like. But like, um, you know, you're seeing a ton of these like these you know multi little unit do uh, list list uh, units pop up in lists. And it's like, well, what do you do with those? That's the first question. It's like, what's that doing there? Where do you, where do you deploy it? Well, no, you don't even deploy it. They're literally there to score uh, these secondaries, and you're spending one CP. Um, mm -hmm. to yeah. enable them to do that. So you're seeing a huge trend in all these little lists um, uh, with armies that have those type of units available to them of taking them just to do that. Yep, yeah. the uh, your so-called action monkeys uh, yes. as just a unit that will come in, perform an action, and then probably die. Mm -hmm. And the best part about those little action monkeys is, um, since objectives matter so much, mm -hmm. if they have any obsec ability at all, it means yep. your opponent now has to answer them. Yes. Um, once again, 10 grouts, you, you make sure you kill them all. You can't just leave them at two. Yep. You, you make sure you kill them all. Otherwise, there's there's a chance that that little guy is going to come in an obsec on you, and you have an even bigger problem to deal with because now he's scoring a primary. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it, it becomes a difficult decision where you're like, well, I guess my gun that was going to shoot the thing that's killing my army now needs to shoot grouts. 
Yeah, because you you cannot allow yourself to have someone like steal their primary points, you know. You you can't afford for them to run on to your objective with a single model and take you from a 15-point turn to a 5-point turn. That's going to yeah. be backbreaking. Uh, and that's one of the things you totally can do with reserves. Um, yep. Grey Knights and Genestealer Colt can put units at 3 inches away from your units. That's gross for doing yes. that breakbreaking. Although... That is a, uh, we'll, we'll probably discuss that more when we're talking about reserve abilities and stuff like that in another episode, as opposed to strategic reserves, which are yeah, sort of what we're I, focusing here. But it, that is a general reserve strategy of, of being able to bring units in like that. Yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, another big class, which is these sort of glass cannon units. Uh, things that hit really, really hard, but then just sort of go away when the opponent thinks about them. Um, I think the the current most obvious choice there would be Eradicators, the new uh, double-shooting Melta unit that Space Marines have gotten access to. Um, they're really not very tough. You're, it's three wounds apiece, toughness five, three up armor, and... You know, that's tough-ish, but it's just going to evaporate if someone decides to shoot them. Um, mm -hmm. But being able to bring them off a board edge with strategic reserves so that they always get to dump their melta onto something, that's a game changer. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, making, once again, this is a, I think a lot of this addition took away a feel-bads. Taking away any feel-bads of not being able to play with your favorite stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and making it very inexpensive to be able to play with your favorite things, even if it's a knight, even if it's a great unclean one, even if it's, um, you know, Magnus and whatever. It, I think it takes away a lot of field bats. With the, to stay in the glass cannon section before you go into centerpieces, um, it, once again, mech guns are the huge thing that comes to mind in the armies that I play. Mm -hmm. But um, there are armies that, like, that kind of have that... That they're this is their only way of scoring via shooting or only way of interacting and like once you pull that way of interacting such as uh such as a Telemann dreadnoughts or Caladius tanks in the custody oh, side, yeah. um, if you if you if your opponent has twenty some last cannons, mm -hmm. you, you you reserve them because um, otherwise you can't they they blow blow them up and then you can't interact with your opponent's ability you can't interact with your opponent at all via shooting yeah. and then it sucks so um, being able to do that is pretty important um some armies i they made that that may have been the best example but across the board uh you have the option to now um keep your things that interact with your opponent interactable yeah yes. and i think that's actually really critical because you mentioned earlier that whole like peeling an onion concept where you need to get through several layers of like a transport and then the unit inside and then the the character that might be accompanying them and, and one of the key parts of being able to deal with that is interacting in multiple phases. And if you only have one or two units in your army that can participate in a given phase, you know, you only have one shooting unit or one sh unit that has any real shooting, uh, losing that unit can be a huge blow to your army, even if they're a relatively cheap piece. Yeah. Um, also, this is something I've done a million times with Grey Knights is... Inconvenient psychic power dump. Sure. Uh, that applies just as much to the psychic phase as it does to the, the shooting phase or, or the assault phase. Um, mm -hmm. 
there are armies that have just a minimal participation in any of those that being able to ensure you get your thing off, uh, because you can absolutely walk in off a board edge and cast a psychic power. Uh, that's, that's definitely something we're going to see. And mm -hmm. you can walk in off a board edge and assault something, especially if, as we mentioned earlier, it's like a counter charge unit uh, that you're sort of like, well, you decided to walk into my deployment zone, huh? Well, say hello to this unit of six mega knobs or these five aggressors or whatever it is. There's there's one thing I want to mention that I did in a game um, that I think some people should consider, especially with how specifically strategic reserve rules work, uh, is... Um, we talked in a previous episode about flipping the board. Um, yeah. If you can flip a board uh, from like a Dawn of War style to a Hammer and Anvil style, mm -hmm. and then your opponent comes over and grabs your objective on turn two or whichever, mm -hmm. um, that's on your side of the board, that is free real estate. That is awesome. Because <laughs> yeah. now you Ooh. instantly could interact with it based on what you reserve. So if you're planning on flipping the board, uh, consider reserving a strong counter charge unit just to be like, oh, cool, I get to do this for free. Now, if your opponent does it, if your opponent has key reserves, maybe you don't want to do that. But if if it, if during that, that uh, step, they go, oh, I'm going to deploy my entire army, and you're like, okay, cool, I'm going to take this strong melee unit and uh, leave them in reserves. Yeah, um, you're... You're essentially setting up a trap at that point that says, hey, here's this undefended objective on one side of my deployment zone. You can just walk in here and take it from me if you want it. And if they do, they have made a terrible, terrible mistake because that unit is going to ruin their day. Yeah, and it, and it's forcing that decision too, because like if yep. you if you do like a six objective map and you take middle and then the one directly in front of you, mm -hmm. um, you deploy in such a manner where you make that happen and you flip it, uh, and they like they offset the, the huge part of their army on the other side of the board uh, from that mm -hmm. objective. They're what's what are they going to do? Chet, uh, force a, an entire major conflict that they might not win on top of that one spot. Yep. Or are they going to go take the free objective and get three primaries so you don't, you know, outscore them in the command phase? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, one and those are none. Of those are easy answers. Uh, yeah. So, um, I that's a personal thing to look out for. Would be yeah. I think that's a really strong strategy. Is you because you're essentially you're forcing conflict to happen where you want to happen and giving your opponent two bad choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned the the centerpiece thing, Ben. Why don't Why don't you you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that is the the third major type of unit that you're going to want to reserve. So there are some armies that revolve re around a centerpiece unit, or the majority of their their offensive output um, and how their army interacts with their army. Um, they need that unit to do it. Uh, Primarily in like chaos really comes to mind here because they're they're building around you know Magnus and Wardy, um, mm -hmm. and then and then like there there are corn lists where corn doesn't really have shooting. So what do you do when corn you take a chaos knight? Um, mm -hmm. So that that's kind of where you're seeing the opportunity to deep strike that unit because if you look at your opponent's lists and you're like, well, can I range it? Can I do this? Can I do that? There were so many times in previous in the previous edition where it was well, I got screwed on deployment. And they have really long guns, so I guess my guy's just dead. Um, yeah, I that's, think that's no longer the point. <laughs> I, I think those long deployment maps, what what used to be like hammer and anvil style, or ones kind of like that, where you're you're deploying from the short edges. Um, 
are where this really shines because uh, it's going to, when you're coming in off the long board edges for reserves, that gives you so much more space to interact with and force your opponent to deal with things. And I, I want to focus on Magnus here because he's he's kind of a he's kind of a really big highlight or a Lord of Change. Lord of Changes are big now too. Yeah. Actually, all the big Chaos units are good now. All those um, yeah, all those big Demon units I think are are going to be really important for this sort of thing. Yeah, and the under eighteen wounds specifically because obscuring terrains fantastic. Um, right. So they uh, you have Magnus and he's Thousand Sun, so all his spells are plus six inches and his, his smites are twenty four. He can come in on your board edge and interact with almost everything, as long as your deployment has like left their deployment zone. So, um, it's not a big deal unless you really need him to do something on turn one. And most of the time, you're just buffing Magnus anyway. So, there's not a huge loss there. Um, that's that's what I'm a big. That's why I'm a big fan of it specifically. Is uh, is that, well, I'm going to spend all this time buffing Magnus. Oh, I went second. Oh, Magnus died. Oh, feel bad's on a dice roll and appointment. Yep. Oh, no, that doesn't exist anymore. I can literally I just be like, well, I don't want to take this risk, or they have the right army to do to handle Magnus, and then if they don't, then you just don't spend the CP. It's it's a choice, which is also what is fantastic. Yes, mm-hmm. you, you have that option in the games where you need it, and in the games where you don't need it, you don't have to do it. Yes. So I think that's really the the key takeaway from all of this is strategic reserves in this new edition are an option that everyone has access to. It's not something you have to use every game. It's probably not something you should use every game. Uh, it's not something all armies will want to use. Absolutely not. Um, it it doesn't. It costs a non-trivial amount of CP to start reserving units. You know, one or two doesn't feel like a lot, um, but when that's cutting into your CP budget that you've already kind of figured, like I want to see you use this stratagem each turn, and I'm going to use this one on the first two turns of the game, and you know, like you'll often kind of budget your CP and say, like, okay, well, I start with twelve, but I have nine of it already accounted for, and then when you spend two more CP to put things into reserves, you're re- you're cutting even further into the, that budget um so yeah. you you don't want to use it all the time but you do want to be aware that it's there and think about do you have a unit that in this particular matchup meets one of the the criteria we talked about where it, it is going to be very vulnerable to the enemy's attacks or you're going to need a flexible piece that can come in where you want it to when you want it to or you have something that you know you need to get to a place on the battlefield where it couldn't normally return to um any of the units that meet these criteria we were talking about is worth thinking about whether you should reserve it. Uh, because in a lot of matchups, this can be an extremely effective tool. Yes. Um, and I will point out, uh, I play an army that has a lot of reserve access. I reserve one, maybe two units a game. Yep. Um, be very careful, as we said earlier, not to over-reserve because that takes away from that all-important board presence. We're going to talk about this more in a little bit, maybe next episode, I think. Um, that board presence is ninth edition. If you're not controlling the board, you're losing the game. And strategic yes. reserves can be great for finding ways to do that, but at the same time, you are taking away that board presence in the early game. 
So you need to be very careful about which units you reserve and think about what they would have been doing for your army if you hadn't reserved them and whether it's worth losing that. And don't be afraid to playtest. Yeah, by all means, test this out. Like, don't just, just don't just, like, take our episode as, like, well, I should never reserve anything. It's like, that's not what we're saying here. Um, be, feel free to trial this out, but, but think about what you're doing when you do it. Ben, do you yeah, have any kind of last thoughts on this you want to wrap us up with? Um, there's, there's two more little thoughts that I just, that have come to mind that I couldn't find a good time to insert. One being, if your opponent has a super aggressive list that you know is going to kill 65% of your army, um, within, you know, one or two turns, Mm -hmm. reserve half your army. Just do it. Sure. Um, and then come in and then answer them. Uh, reserve half, hide the other half. Yeah. Like you, you have that option now. Um, you're not going to do this too often, but like if you're just in a situation where you know, like where it's just a bad matchup for you or, you know, things are pretty weighted against you and how your army plays against theirs and mission and whatnot. Like you can, you can make it so you can, you can still come back in that turn, turn uh, three through uh, three, four, five setups based on secondaries and what you're looking at. Or if their army doesn't hold primaries well, or if you have the ability to like sneak around primaries, so mm-hmm. I, I can go into that for a while, but if the, the, the alpha striking uh, capability, whether it is melee or shooting, because we talked mostly about shooting, you can also do it against that army that just wants to overrun you and be like, okay, cool. I'm just going to hide half my stuff that I don't want to get touched anyway, and it doesn't matter anymore. Um, so want to put that out there. And the second one is this really helps stores and people playing in their garage and other such where bad terrain isn't that as big of a deal anymore. <laughs> Um, right you're not you're not in a situation where it's oh got planet bowling ball guess i'm dead um just spend cp mm-hmm. yeah that it is a great tool when you're on a a kind of mediocre table that just doesn't have the blocking terrain that you you want or need to protect yourself oh i think that basically covers strategic reserves there's we have a lot more to talk about with reserves in general and some more facets of things we touched on this, but we're going to wrap the episode up here uh, and start getting ready for our next episode, which is what is ninth edition? Because I think we've, we've got just enough of the edition that's made sort of its debut now. And we're starting to see the general shape of things that we can start to talk about what ninth edition metas look like in general. Would you two agree there? Mm hmm. Yeah, that that was that was my first question of to myself was what what even are we doing? And then as I found the answer, I was actually very pleased. I'm I'm actually pretty happy, even though my army may not be in the best meta. It did win a GT, um, but yeah. it it's still a it's still it's a very fun and exciting place to be. I think it really is. Um, the the beginning of an edition like this is always very exciting to just see what kind of weird stuff is going on and how everything is going to stack up. Uh, so I hope you all look forward to that episode. Uh, if you would like to see our thoughts on that a little bit earlier, or you want to discuss what you've seen and what you feel about the, the meta is going on, uh, or you just want to hear about our stupid pets and fancy new clothes that we all bought, uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon, where we are in the finest hour, or you can contact us through Gmail, in through finest hour at gmail.com or on Facebook. 
And if you do subscribe to our Patreon, you get access to our early episodes when we release uh, our, our cross-talks and some of the additional bonus content like that, as well as our private Discord server where we post all kinds of nonsense for everyone to see about our, our personal lives and our political views and all sorts of other fun stuff like that. So, thank you to all of our Patreons who have supported us. We really appreciate you all, and you're what make all of the equipment that we make this show and our streaming and all that sort of thing possible. So, thank you very much to all of them. Mm-hmm. We'd also like to thank Dank Muse for his awesome sounds, and you can find him on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. And we'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our awesome, awesome iconography art. You can find him on Facebook, Art of Rylan Woodrow, as well as on Instagram and probably another place. I just don't remember. <laughs> He's everywhere these days. He's fantastic. <laughs> so, for In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen West. Ben Jurek. Thanks for listening. <laughs>